Hey everyone, welcome back to my podcast, Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit. This is your host, Dr. Steve Sullivan from Bucks County Community College outside of Philadelphia. Since I posted my bonus episode on the coronavirus and COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus here in um, March of 2020, uh, there have been some updates. Uh, for one, I just wanted to mention real quick that the virus has reached the east coast of the United States. There, the number of cases has risen pretty sharply. And also, we learned something new. When I recorded it, the experts had been saying that the virus lasts a few hours on hard surfaces. And now we're finding that the virus is lasting up to eight to 10 days on hard surfaces. So that's a pretty big difference. And that's um, one of the reasons why this can spread so quickly is you could be nowhere near anyone who's been infected um, for days and still be able to pick the virus up from hard surfaces. So really important to wipe down hard surfaces with bleach wipes like Clorox or Lysol wipes or uh, using some kind of sanitizer that's at least 60% alcohol for uh, killing the virus. Make sure you wash your hands, avoid touching your face, avoid being within three to six feet of people who may or may not be um, expressing symptoms of the virus. And I think that for the most part, we should get through this. Anyway, just a quick update on the bonus episode that I had posted. Today is the second part of the integumentary system. That's what we're going to focus on. So in the last episode, we did a good general view of the integumentary system, including the skin, the layers of the skin, the cells of the skin, the functions of the integumentary system. And today I want to talk specifically about uh, skin color. Just a quick little um, side note. Uh, again, I want to thank you for all your support. Uh, it's been a lot of fun reading the emails. I want to um, say please send me your questions via email, minus55media at gmail.com. Um, and please feel free to write a review, share the podcast, um, let others know that it's around. But I want to address a question I got uh, through email from the histology episode. And the question comes from Alexis. And Alexis is taking Anatomy and Physiology 1 at a school in the southeastern United States. So uh, I won't get any more specific than that. But Alexis's question was, how do I tell the difference between connective tissue and epithelial tissue under the microscope when I'm taking my practical exam? So that's a big question that people have when they're taking this course is they tend to not know what's connective tissue and what's epithelium when they're looking at a tissue sample. So I typically have a couple of criteria that you want to identify first. The first one is check and see whether or not the tissue in question is lining a surface or a space. So is there a bunch of cells adjacent to a blank space? If that's the case, it's usually epithelium because covering and lining epithelium does exactly that. It covers and lines the spaces 
of our body cavities, of our lumen, and the surface of our skin. So look for a space. Epithelium should be lining a space. It might even be the duct of a gland or something like that. The other thing to look for is, are the cells arranged in sheets or layers? If they are, that's epithelium. If the cells are sporadically dispersed throughout the uh, fibrous tissue, then that's connective tissue. So connective tissue does not have to line a space, and epithelium is arranged in sheets and layers. That's what you're going to look at. If you determine that what you're looking at is epithelium, the next thing you want to ask yourself is, how many layers are there? Is there one or more than one? If there's one, it's simple epithelium. If there's more than one, it's stratified. And then the last thing you want to ask yourself is, what shape are the cells? If the cells are squamous in shape, they're, they're flat and tile-shaped, well, then you are looking at simple squamous epithelium if it's one layer. If it's multiple layers of those cells, then it's stratified squamous epithelium. Is the cell square or column-shaped? And then you're looking at cuboidal or columnar. So that's basically the checklist I have my students go through. And if they can identify the characteristics that make one tissue type what it is, then they should be able to answer questions identifying tissue types without having to memorize them all. Because you know you're going to get pictures that are stained differently. You're going to get pictures that are from a different part of the body. So they don't all look exactly the same. And I will warn you, don't ever try to memorize pictures of tissue types by color because they're stained with whatever stain the preparer used. So, they, so it doesn't mean that they're going to be the same color every time. So that's what I would recommend. So thank you for your question, Alexis. I really appreciate that. Keep your questions coming in. I will try to answer questions uh, on the episodes of the podcast. Uh, Minus55media at gmail.com and spell the word minus out. And that's going to be your best way to reach me. Thanks. All right, why don't we move back into the integumentary system for integumentary part two. So I want to talk about skin color. Uh, this is a popular topic when I talk about the integumentary system in my class. We talked about melanocytes in the first episode for the integumentary system in what they do and how they do it. They secrete the pigment melanin and it hovers over the nucleus like an umbrella, creating a barrier against ultraviolet light to protect the nuclei from mutations caused by UV light. Well, that also gives the cells a pigmented color. And there are two types of melanin. Eumelanin, which is a brownish-black color, and pheomelanin, which is a reddish-yellow color. And the interesting thing that people don't realize is that no matter what color your skin is, people who have different skin colors have about the same number of melanocytes proportional to their body size. So it's not that people with darker skin have more melanocytes. It's just that the melanocytes of people with darker skin produce more melanin. They're more active. And sometimes the melanin in the darker skin 
isn't just hovering around the nucleus. Sometimes it's spread out more in the cell instead of being more tightly clumped together. And that causes it to break down more slowly and gives the skin a broader color dispersion of the darker colors. Melanin and cells with melanin in them can be in any layer, stratum basale all the way up to stratum corneum. So it doesn't really matter. All of the cells can have the colored pigment in them. Now, since melanin is protective against ultraviolet light, exposure to ultraviolet light, like the sun, can increase the activity of melanocytes, which is why you get a suntan. So you activate the melanocytes with the UV light, and that causes more melanin production. Now, what ultimately happens is those cells rise to the top and they exfoliate off. If you limit your exposure to the sun after that, you'll exfoliate off all of the darker pigmented cells and return to the original skin color that you had before. And that's why suntans fade and they don't typically last for a very long time. But the important thing to remember is that people who have darker skin genetically, uh, they don't have more melanocytes. It's just that the genes for mel melanin production tend to be more active. And a lot of that can be traced back to recent ancestry in areas that have more sun exposure. So people whose recent ancestry, which is more equatorial toward the equator, more tropical, tend to have darker skin because it's more protective against the sun that is shining in those areas at a much higher rate than in other parts of the world. So obviously the color of your hair and your eyes and your skin is genetic. You get that from your parents and they got it from their parents and so on and so on and so on. And there are genes that are responsible for the production of melanin and receptors. People with red hair and really light skin, they tend to produce more pheomelanin. And then they get the reddish skin or the reddish hair tones, whereas people who have darker skin or have more of a tan brownish color of skin, they tend to produce more eumelanin. And the reason for this is all genetic. Like I said, you inherit this from your parents and ancestors. I think it's important to remember, though, that these forms of melanin are pigments, and pigments are protein-based. And those pigments are being produced based on genes on the DNA engaging in protein synthesis, which we've talked about in a previous episode, transcription and translation. So it all comes back to that. Don't forget your transcription and translation stuff, because just about everything that you learn about in A&P can be traced back to that. In addition to the melanin pigment, there are other factors that contribute to skin color as well, and they are hemoglobin and carotene. Hemoglobin, which you've probably heard of as it's associated with blood, hemoglobin binds oxygen molecules, and so we can transport oxygen throughout our bloodstream. Hemoglobin is a pigment, and it's really, really predominant in blood. So the parts of our bodies that have blood vessels really close to the surface, they tend to be much redder or pinkish uh, than other parts of our body. Examples would be your lips. 
right? In your lips, there are blood capillaries very close to the surface. And so the hemoglobin shows through more easily than it would in other areas. Think about when you take a flashlight and shine it up against maybe your hand. And if you look at the other side of your hand, you'll see a red light coming through. That's because your flashlight is shining through blood vessels filled with red blood. And so you're seeing a red filtered light go through there. Uh, when you have blood vessels really close to the surface, those surfaces will look more reddish or pinkish, like lips. Carotene is a yellow pigment, and we can get that from our diet. Things like egg yolks and uh, yellow and orange vegetables, like carrots and yellow peppers. Now what happens with carotene, it tends to become concentrated in fat, especially the fat that's beneath your dermis called subcutaneous fat, and in the stratum corneum, which is the surface layer of your epidermis, which is the thickest layer in some areas. So areas of your body that have the thickest stratum corneum, like the soles of your feet, calluses in your hands and your heels, the palms of your hands, they tend to be lighter in color because of the carotene that's there. And then finally, there are colors of the skin that are abnormal, where they're associated with some kind of condition. For example, uh, jaundice, you've probably heard of that. Uh, that is a yellowing of the skin uh, and the whites of the eyes, called the sclera, and that's from a high level of bilirubin in the blood. And bilirubin is what happens when we break hemoglobin down. So blood, red blood cells, they get old and they break down and they need to be destroyed and gotten rid of because they don't have a nucleus. So since red blood cells don't have a nucleus, they can't divide and create new red blood cells. So, in, so what happens is we break them down and our liver and kidneys dispose of them. But if the liver is not functioning at 100%, then it might be difficult to get rid of the bilirubin and it can accumulate in the skin and the whites of the eyes, which would cause a discoloration, like a yellowish thing. We see this often with cancer, hepatitis, cirrhosis, um, infants where their liver is not quite ready to start breaking down their own red blood cells yet are often born with jaundice being a little yellow in color. So that's a pretty common one. Um, you've probably heard of vitiligo or albinism. So uh, vitiligo is a regional loss of melanin production in areas of the skin and hair where you'll have regions of the hair that are just white, like a streak of white or a patch, or patches of the skin that have uh, decreased melanin production. Uh, that would be vitiligo. And it can be progressive where it starts to grow over the course of time. Albinism would be an entire lack of melanin production. So uh, white skin, white hair, eyes, maybe um, blue-gray. So a loss of melanin production uh, completely would be albinism. You may have heard of cyanosis, which is when people's skin turns blue from lack of oxygen. Uh, that's actually because it turns the hemoglobin a reddish-violet color when there's no oxygen. And th when that shows through the dermis, which is kind of white in, because of all the collagen fibers, then you end up with like a bluish hue to the skin, and that would be abnormal. Cyanosis would be 
an abnormal um, deficiency of oxygen in the circulating blood. Sometimes when there is a bruise, like a broken blood vessel under the skin, which is called a hematoma, you may see like a, a mass of clotted blood showing through the skin. And um, it, will be, it will look dark and, and uh, maybe even like a deep, dark red or, or black and blue type of, type of um, presentation to it. And that's called a hematoma or bruise. All right, so I think that's pretty good for the basis of skin color. Uh, I hope that you have um, picked out some things that you maybe didn't know before and uh, learned a few more things about skin color. If you have any questions, please feel free to write me an email, like I mentioned earlier, minus55media at gmail.com. And please don't forget to review and rate the podcast on wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, that would be really, really appreciated. In our next episode, uh, I'm going to bring us into the skeletal system. So we're done with the integumentary system now. If you have any questions about the integumentary system, please feel free to ask, and I'll and I will uh, answer them on the next episode. But if you uh, but if you're ready to move on to the skeletal system, so am I. So uh, I hope that you enjoyed this. Good luck on your next A and P exam. Talk to you next time. Hey everyone, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Student Help for AP. That's student, the number four, AP. There's lots of tutor videos on there that I think could really help you. And I also have an Instagram account and a Twitter feed with the same name. Please also don't forget to rate this podcast and review it if you possibly can. Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit is a production of Minus 55 Media with a special thanks to Bucks County Community College and my family.